So I don't understand the Petrichor discourse, which does sound like a prog band, uh, but isn't. Should, should we just like just make sure we're leveled on Petrichor, right? It's the nice ozone-y smell you get before a big thunderstorm, and there were big thunderstorms in the UK yesterday. So, uh, Mark, you, we had them first. They came through Ireland. We get any of your weather first. <laughs> you get the first pick. So yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously, like Petrichor was going to be a thing yesterday, but it was really weird because I just saw a load of people on Twitter acting like kids who are excited about a fight that's meant to be happening after school, <clears throat> like acting like there was going to be a big discourse over the word Petrichor uh, about like people basting other people for like acting pseudo intellectual by like using it and explaining it. Okay, I just, well, I couldn't understand. I'm going to add my own Petrichor discourse to this because what was your definition? Uh, it's, it means like rock blood, doesn't it? But you said it's the ozone smell you get before a thunderstorm. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was the smell you get when rain hits dry earth or um, gr- the ground, basically. I think it's, so, I think it's just ozone because you get it at weirs and canals too. I love smelling a weir. <laughs> I, I wear Lynx wear. <laughs> smell like a canal in motion. Okay, well, look, now I want to go and in, interrogate you about that, and I'm not, look, we don't have time for this. <laughs> Let's do it on the other side of the bridge. After having a good smell of the petrichor. If you smell what the rock is bleeding. Jesus, it's like being, sometimes it's like being on that round of Mock the Week where they'd all have to, like... <laughs> <laughs> The wheel spins and we all have to get our bit in. Nate does a joke and then Matthew does a big sniffing noise so then Nate does another joke. <laughs> the train won't stop. Welcome, listener, to this episode 198 of the Electronic Wireless Show podcast. Uh, this is Rock Paper Shotgun's PC gaming podcast, and the only podcast you need, in my opinion. And this week, we are talking about the best last stands in games, as suggested by listener Alistair, fake last name. Thank you for emailing in, Alistair. But first, before we get to that, uh, I am joined this week, of course, by I Am Billions. Yep. Is that. Is that an ant thing, or what is that? <laughs> it's like the game. They are billions, but I've just uh, made it first-person singular. Okay, <laughs> lovely. Also, I imagine it's what Jeff Bezos roars while he has his morning wank. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was very crude, but I stand by it. Lovely. And I'm also joined by Wolf Carlton. Hello. How do you follow that? I don't know. There's... There's no way to really. Jeez. Oh God! I yeah, I'm really sorry. That I image out of my head. Um, how how, how are there. you both? You're a bit fried. Nate's clearly Nate's clearly in a, a, a whimsical mood. <laughs> it's uh, it's just insomnia. This damn heat. It is very hot. I'm sure it's hot where you are as well, listener. It's hot everywhere, apart from the Antarctic. Although hotter there than it should be, etc. And so on. Mm. Matthew, how are you? What have you been up to this week? Uh, I, uh, well, you know, f- fighting with the heat, as has everyone. Uh, foolishly, I've decided to be playing a lot of Steam Deck this last couple of weeks. And the Steam Deck is incredibly hot and yeah, pumps but, out like, hot air. So Hot thighs. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's so dumb, like, <laughs> having, having this thing on the go. Um, is it, like, laptop-sized? Uh, no, it's, like... It's like a big Nintendo Switch. I don't know. It's like I don't know, I don't know thirty centimeters across, maybe. It's quite big. Is it a it's quite laptop? chunky? It does sound like a laptop in that it's very no, hot, it's a, about it's a, the size of a big book. 
Yeah, it's got like big laptop energy, despite being a portable handheld device. Um, it's that very hot air that smells of the inside of PCs, which is actually quite a nice smell. Oh, I think you it's like it. Air. That's weird. Oh. Yeah, oh, I like it because it's it's like it verges on you know when you burn plastic, and obviously that smells evil. It's it's like adjacent to that smell, but in a non-evil way. That's weird. Nice do you like the smell of petrol? Do you do when if you oh, get? Oh yeah, I quite like the smell of petrol. Yeah, knew it. You're deviant. I think in another life I would have gotten really into solvent abuse. Actually, petrol and everything smells amazing. What's wrong with you two? I got this um this modelling putty uh, made by Tamiya, the Japanese company, and it's like I don't know some sort of sort of substance. But it's held together by like a delicious tropical smelling solvent. I have to remind myself that it's actually a very bad idea to smell solvents because it's just so delightful. Uh, it's, you know, you it's two a worry, should make a range of like smell deviant scented candles that are like yeah, garage forecourt uh, solvent glue. Film being anger near nearby. Hot laptop, yeah. Do you remember when Scratch and Sniff was a thing? Oh, it I all do. smelled the same. Everything you, you scratched just had the same kind of vaguely eggy smell. <laughs> do you remember scented gel pens? They were quite, uh, what else it's called? They were, oh, girls were into them more than boys. They were quite a hot commodity. They were like the, the colour and rarity of your gel pens and the scented ones. It was like micro machines, kind of, but for mean girls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, carried a lot of cachet. And I remember having a banana one that was horrible. I have to they constantly were... remind myself not to quaff shower gels, no matter how good they smell. Yeah, Ooh, the that soap reminds... is very eatable. Actually, I was just going to tell a flagrant lie and say that reminds me of my recommendation for this week. Was in actual fact just given me an idea for my recommendation. <laughs> <for it. laughs> So, you know, same sense of relief. I, I went, when I was in junior school, there was a boy in my class who used to eat lip cells like they were sweets. What? Like <laughs> Flavoured chapsticks. He'd like, I, like in theory, not, the, not poisonous because you put them on your lips, but he'd literally like unwind it and then just chew on it, like eat it like it was a sweet. I think the cherry ones That's tasted weird. quite good. They were just like a very weak sweet. Mm. We just get sweets though. Yeah, well, that's right. it. Sweets are cheaper. <laughs> uh, Nate, what have you been up to? How are your fish? The gobies. Uh, you know that's that phrase. Christmas is coming. The goose is getting fat. Mm. Imagine if instead of the goose, it was seventy gobies. <laughs> seventy. Yeah. Oh, imagine if the end of Christmas Carol, Scrooge opens the window and says, "What day is it? Christmas Day, sir." He goes, "Quick, fetch me seventy fat gobies and take them to Bob Cratchit's house." <laughs> He'd be doing me a favour if he did. Like, I'm getting worried about them. Tell me, boy, do do you know the gobies in the aquarium down the road? <laughs> Have they been sold? Muppet, Muppet Christmas Carol, but there's just all like Muppet gobies. <laughs> Scrooge, Scrooge's mind is just fractured after a night of ghost visits. It's broken him. <laughs> I had a couple still of... has to eat them and pretend he's happy because it's his boss. Oh, fish by the handful. <laughs> Merry Christmas! I'm a changed man. <laughs> now eat your fish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the ghost of Christmas, warm brine. Uh, <laughs> I had a lovely birthday expedition to the Black Country Museum, which is one of those living yeah. history museums. Oh, um, oh, I went there on a school trip. Awesome. Uh, you know what? Like, it was good, but one thing they've let themselves down on, I remember those places were like full of enchanting characters who would be like, you know, uh, you say, oh, I'll look that up on, on my phone. Like, what is a phone, good sir? You know, and like properly role play it. And I always used to mega respect that. But now they're just sort of like retired men in old clothes who seem to treat it as a kind of sport to see how quickly they can turn the conversation 
to incredibly racist admiration of Indian and Chinese work ethic, or like <laughs> the fact climate change isn't real. Like it's just like <laughs> old men trying to find angles to be right wing. Uh, rather than like doing any kind of role playing of the olden days, uh, saddened me a bit. <laughs> Seriously, like the the Chinese and Indian thing came up three times. They're obsessed with it. Oh my god, oh dear! It's just true to the period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the, my friend who's with with me, Rose, said like, "Well, the the, the the it's some incredible." Like period accurate opinions they've got around. Real, <laughs> yeah. Real deep role play, yeah. Big times. <laughs> oh my God. I can't really compete with that. I did um it was there was a regatta weekend here, a people's regatta they call it. Um and they had um a bunch of like you know, how talented are your children competitions and face painting and all that kind of stuff. But they also had quite a, a lot of good local bands um and i was looking at the program on saturday night and the headline act on saturday night because they set up a little stage and everything in the um the square with proper really good lighting setup and stuff and uh the program was a mystery because it just for all the musical acts it said either this band is playing all your favorite tunes or all your favorite sounds because whoever wrote it can be bothered to type anything descriptive about any of them so on saturday night there was a band playing called pontius pilot and the nail drivers <laughs> that's that's great what a name i know and so what would you guess they play the kind of music they played from that i'm thinking like southern gothic sort of dong dunga dong dong sort of rock okay yeah. matthew any vibes from pontius pilot and the nail drivers I'm mean, something quite heavy and scary. I will say, so it used to be Pontius Pilot and the Nail Driving Five, apparently, but there's now more than five other band members. Oh, five. That makes it sound like they replicated like bacteria. <laughs> but yeah, any any ideas from that? Are we are we sticking with like yeah, kind of heavy rock? I don't know. There's something five gothic. sounds a bit more like sort of sixties pop. You know. Okay, sixties pop. Yeah. Or like a blues band. Blues, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I'm, and I was so excited when I found this out. I'm very happy to tell you that Pontius Pilot and the Nail Drivers are in fact a ska band. Oh. It was a me- they did. Oh. They did all the ska legs at one point. The guitarists of which there were two did like dueling ska legs, kind of at uh, each you're other. You're gonna have to tell me what ska legs are because I'm I'm just not with it. Um, so, the legs of an evil lion. <laughs> so it's um, you either sort of pick your knees up, like one after the other, like you're sort of doing keepy uppies on the spot very quickly. Oh, I or, know what that is. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. you do sort of falling forwards and running in place as another one. Um, there, there's also like you sort of staple your knees together and kind of kick uh, right to left, left to right kind of while you're jumping about a bit or there's like uh keeping your legs straight and then just sort of kicking them out both in front of you there's a lot of different i think i'm too lazy for scar i said that as well while we were watching them i was like too knackered if i if i started a band i would start a shoegaze band just so i didn't have to make eye contact or do anything too exorbitant but it's very good really good i saw a two-year-old like a toddler being taught to do scar legs by his dad it was great <laughs> scar legs. he couldn't get the hang of it so he could only kick one leg at a time but it was very sweet Aww. so that's what i did i got quite i i had quite a few drinks there was also a bunch of teenagers like old like 18 19 who were very into like metal clearly but like old school metal like you know like 80s 90s um, they were like one of them looked like Axl Rose, like he was long hair, bandana and stuff. One of them was wearing like a sleeveless top and stuff. And I was sort of, it was quite heartwarming that kids today are still t- doing that sort of subgenre subculture. I was like, oh, it's quite sweet. They're still they're keeping the dream alive. It sounds a really positive um, experience overall. It was very vibey. It was good. It was fun. Love a vibe, that's good. 
I was also quite drunk. And then I, I was, because I'd had enough to drink that I was like, way. So, you know, that thing where crowds stand quite far back from a band until they're sort of pure. They kept asking people to come to the front. So then by at, at one stage, it was me and like two kind of middle-aged scar heads just at the front. <laughs> and, I, and I was into Did it. they and begin to did. battle you? No, one of them, she was a lady, she leant over and she said, none of the others are having any fun. And I was like, yeah, and then went back to like kicking. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> My word. What exciting lives you both leave. Yeah, in fairness, most of the rest the of the time. Piece. On like a little tour. Yeah. Wheeling the tank around so they get out and about. <laughs> oh, I could make an actual like Warhammer tank for them. But full of water. Yeah. Oh, how many tank. gobies? How many gobies do you think it would take to sort of if you fell into like a pond? How many gobies would it take to take you out? Uh, they couldn't well, have save you or skin. kill you. Could they not? It says how- a lot that my mind immediately concluded that the, the question at stake was how quickly could they kill me? Um, no, that was the question. Yeah, oh, I thought you oh, meant take it as in save you from the pond. No, not at all. No, <laughs> uh, no, they're, 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 they're very vicious, but like, yeah, they've got like Muppet mouths, mate. Tiny oh, little no. stupid Muppet mouths. That's disappointing. Yeah. It's, it's, I was hoping that you'd have a, a final stand against a bunch of gobies. <laughs> I'd like that, but mm. I like the segue even better. Hmm. <laughs> That was just undisguised contempt from Matthew this week. <laughs> He's trying to uh. hate. <laughs> my cat just came in from outside and it's wet and it does this very annoying thing where it goes onto my desk and starts hanging around where all the electricity is and oh, it really no. puts me on edge. Like, I do not want the wet cat rubbing up against my uh, plug splitter. <laughs> do, you, do you have like a cat towel? Sounds like you could use a... A bit of law enforcement around your electricity, mate. Uh, no. Uh-oh. Don't um, worry, I've uninstalled you see it. John, John, <laughs> Johnny Chiodini has sort of take, taken in a stray cat who's pregnant, who's called Speedy, um, and they're waiting for Speedy to give birth. But she is not, like, having it. Oh, it's a nail-biter, isn't it? I've been following yeah, this. Yeah, and she, like... The kittens are so now now so far down, like so close to being born that it fully looks like she's wearing like big saddlebags, like like a a cowboy's horse. It's really, yeah. It always makes me she's, think of like a man doing a party trick by stuffing his mouth with pickled onions. Like properly, extremely pregnant cat, and Johnny is getting more and more frustrated, and they keep texting me, being like, "The cat is completely unconcerned with giving birth." Just hanging around. <laughs> but uh so that's exciting. Maybe we'll have a kitten update soon. But anyway, uh last stands in games. Uh now this was suggested. Let me just pull up the email here. I think by Alice such a good suggestion. Name. Yeah. Hi, I've not got anything particularly witty to write in this email, but after hearing Matthew mention them in the last episode, so this was a, a couple weeks back, I think. Uh, was thinking that best last stands in games might be a cool avenue for chat. I'm imagining some talk about your Left 4 Dead, Deep Rock Galactic, or Age of Empires 2, but it's pretty open to interpretation. Uh, thanks for the great podcast. Thank you, Alistair, for writing in. And remember, you can email in with questions, suggestions, and feedback, and I might read them out in my best reading out voice at podcast at rockpapershotgun.com. Uh, but lads... Best last stands. Now, Alistair's suggested a lot of um, like multiplayer, multiplayer co-op. There. Uh, hmm. What do you think? So I did my usual little think about taxonomy for this and what you know what the big groups are. And I think there are set piece last stands. And I think like the quintessential example of that would be like the end of Halo Reach, for example, mm. where like, there is no other way it can can play out. Um, and I had a feeling it would come up, so I don't think I'm, yeah, I'm not spoiling anything there. But then I was thinking, like, because the mention of Age of Empires 2 seemed really odd at first, because 
you know, the, the game's what you make of it, really. And, you know, I guess unless you're playing the, the scenarios in the game where there are some kind of last stand stuffs. Um, but it got me thinking about how electrifying organically arisen last stand situations are. Because uh, I was thinking about a game of Age of Empires 2 where me and Rue were playing against two strangers in a, you know, like a ranked matchmaking game. And it ended up as this bizarre three-hour-long war where the enemy kept making loads of elephants, which are very strong, Prime Minister. Uh, but think about <laughs> elephants is they're very slow as well. And weirdly, they're really vulnerable to conversion by monks. Um what? So we just, yeah, just bear with me. So we built a small army of monks because we were kind of outgunned. Like they had more territory, more resources, but they wouldn't. A big thing about winning an Age of Empires 2 is knowing when to tech switch, like where to stop relying on the unit that's been your mainstay, uh, mainstay because the enemy's adapted and, you know, changing up, surprising them, getting the initiative. But they never did. They just kept throwing like hundreds of elephants at us. And we just had this line of bald men just teaching them the good news of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and the elephants were joining us and beating their former battle brothers into, like, tusky pulp. I like to be clear that it's, it's the, the elephants themselves that are converting, not, like, commanding the elephants. They didn't appear to have riders, Alice. That's interesting, isn't it? Immediately, that's very... <laughs> Well, we, we ended up like, talking a lot about this afterwards. Like the idea of all of these elephants just like going into battle, like absolutely committed to honouring Allah. And then just like, nah, actually, <laughs> I'm going to change this one up, boys. Really strange. I mean, it's odd enough that it happens to infantry. The idea of like an, an elephant, like feeling this deep spiritual connection with a messiah of a different species. <laughs> it's like science fiction, man. It's incredible. Yeah. I imagine a battlefield's are like a bad place to preach as well. Yeah. Pretty There's much, that game, yeah. Heaven and Hell, which is all about, like, uh, it, it's you play basically Satan and you have to try and convert people to to being satanic. And and so the war is sort of like preaching. Uh, it's quite interesting. That does sound Can interesting. We reroute back to Halo actually because I wanted to talk a bit about Halo. So Matthew, you said Halo Reach was kind of top of your list or on your list. Yeah, I mean that's that's. I was trying to think of sort of games which had a a sort of proper heroic last stand baked in, and Halo Reach and spoiler alert for Halo Reach um, is about. The fall of the the planet Reach, which is like a, a a a big narrative event, or has been mentioned elsewhere in Halo. So when they said, "Oh, we're telling," you know, we're making this game set on Reach, everyone's like, "Oh, oh," you know, this is obviously going to be a bit bleak. Um, and yeah, it, it ends with a uh, impossible to win battle against the Covenant, where your squad just sort of fights until they die, and then that's the end of the game because you can't change history. Um, it's like a literal last stand, and this is where someone's going to write in and tell us. Oh, actually, some like mad speedrunner managed to do it and kill everyone. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure you can't win, um, and it just keeps on going until you die. It doesn't like time out, as far as I can remember. I was the, wow. the funny thing is, I was so sort of crap at Halo that like it wasn't a heroic last stand for me. You know, I just I I just died as I would any fight in Halo Reach, <laughs> and then it's like, and that's how Reach was lost. And you're like, yeah, that, I mean that that stacks up. I just really respected that as a design decision because, like, Halo's such a tentpole game that it's like the ultimate sort of play it safe game, you know. And the fact they decided to do something like so hostile to like you know, everyone's, like, basic expectation of a blockbuster story. I thought that was really cool. Like, they just went ahead and did something, like, that was kind of artistically interesting. I like that. Yeah, it was good. Like, I suppose it was baked in, right? There's no there's no other way to that it would 
Well, they and, could have had the main lads like battling off planet, and like it's a shame we had to leave all of those civilians to get glassed. But we will always appear <laughs> later in the franchise. I could have done that, but I'm glad yeah. that's true. That is true. I found quite an interesting uh, when I was looking at Halo stuff for this. I completely this completely passed me by. But in 2010, when the Halo Two servers were turned off. Let me find the article here. Um, so the the Halo servers, Halo Two servers, like the the you know, shut down uh, as part of um, the original Xbox Live shutting down. Yeah. Um, so they shut down the original Xbox multiplayer support, which meant Halo Two lost multiplayer support. Um, so a bunch of people kept playing Halo Two past the midnight deadline, uh, and then fourteen. Um, Halo 2 players who became known as the Noble 14 uh, pledged to uh, keep playing until we all get forcibly removed basically um, I love you know, the, the sort of the tenfold heroism there, that's really sweet, what happened? It's cool um, <clears throat> Well, so eventually um, uh, they tried like I, th- I think Microsoft tried to bribe them by giving them Halo Reach codes and, co- you know, sort of like, well done, soldiers, you're very loyal, whatever. Um, uh, but that only, I think, swayed two of them. Uh, and uh, it took about a month uh, for the last one to get kicked. Uh, who, who, you know, he got kicked by Bungie, I think, or by Xbox. He must have had quite an odd sort of ontological episode, like being the last man in a multiplayer world, yeah. knowing that as soon as he stops playing against no one, the world will end. Mm, yeah, dark, he, he, he says he was booted from the game. And uh, he was, I think, asking people what he was supposed to do because he was just sort of, you know just didn't know what he should do because he didn't have an opponent at all so uh, no i think it's cool it's nice you know it's interesting seeing that sort of stuff happen and it's it's a that's a um a sort of meta halo last stand that's actually more heroic and emotionally affecting actually that is i don't know why that's yeah it's just something really melancholy about that sad times love that story if if any of the noble 14 are listening to this uh you know, ten years so, in the yeah. future. Good on you, Sherlock. One zombie stench. <laughs> what a name, Mac Daddy. Mac Sun. A foreign object. Hired noobs. You know, foreign object. Yeah, that's, a good that's name. all the Agent Windex. <laughs> so I thought that was cool because I never properly got it. I played Halo, but I didn't. You know, I didn't play all of them. I never got properly into them. But I think it's very cool. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Uh, I've got to throw in, obviously, a, a Bioware game. It's not going to be Dragon Age, though. But the Mass Effect series has a lot of last stands in it because it's, especially in 3, it's sort of a, it's the last gasp for the current universe kind of thing. Or the solar system, anyway. And um, there are quite a few to choose from. I'm gonna put one forward that isn't. It, th- there's no like last stand against waves of enemies, so I don't know if it counts. Uh, but spoilers, but um, Morden Solus uh, dies in Mass Effect Three. Is it three? Just losing a fight rather than a last stand. But it's not even a fight. So there's a so um, the Mass Effect series is a big you know. Sp- epic space RPG and there's a thing going through it about the Krogan who are these big angry frogs who um, uh, their natural kind of thing is war and they basically the whole society they, every so often they'll kind of nuke each other into oblivion and you know keep going because they're very hardy um, uh, but the they had a war with the um, the other kind of lizardy race the Salarians and the Salarians are advanced science people, and they released a, uh, they call it the genophage, a kind of bi- biological weapon that um, reduced the ability of Krogans to reproduce. So they basically made it very, very dangerous for 
uh, Krogan females to have babies, so they almost always die in childbirth and kind of things. So, so just curbed the population of the Krogans. Um, and Solus was the scientist who developed it, but he feels really, really, you know, in later years, awful about it. Yeah, and, it works. And you can, you, yeah, and you can choose to uh, release a new version of the genophage that will either fix it or kind of, that will either fix the genophage and, and keep the Krogans kind of uh, suppressed because I think they're sort of starting to get better or um, reverse it so that they're just back to how they always were and can reproduce as they always would. Um, but either way, Silas has to stay at the top of this tower that's exploding while he like releases the thing into the air and he he's it's really sweet because he's he sings like some some passer from uh modern major general because <laughs> uh, he because he was really into it i'd be more <laughs> impressed if he rapped the entirety of changes by tupac shakur but also <laughs> that, cool that, that would change the the feeling of the scene somewhat but not necessarily for the worse actually Things will never be the same. Yeah. I, I would call that heroic sacrifice rather than... Because the last stand, stand is like the obliteration of a faction, isn't it? Or like, you know, at the very least, like a company of, of soldiers or like, you know, a group of cowboys. Okay, that's fair. That kind of thing. Well, in which case I can definitely sub in uh, Grunt, who uh, is like, go on without me. He's an angry frog man and he stays in some caves fighting some angry spider monsters in uh, Mass Effect 3. Um, but if you've done his loyalty missions uh, previously, he will then survive. Um, if you haven't, he just dies. But but that's a cool last stand moment. He's properly like shooting stuff and getting covered in blood. And it's like, go on, get out, Shepard! Oh, you know, in his frog voice. You're making me think now, actually, because I kind of want to row back now, actually. I think a lone character can really have a last stand. Especially if they're a big, massive brute. I think a lone character can have a last stand. But yeah, it's, it's, I, think, I think so too. I think a lone character can have a last stand. It's just, where, you know, does it have to be again in, you know, a violent encounter with enemies? What is what, a last Matthew, stand? Matthew, what do you think? Does it have to be like a shootout? Oh, I don't know. I Weirdly, what... An example, one of the things I was going to bring up as a question of is this a last stand and maybe feeds into help, helping work this out is um, is the cover art on the original Doom a last stand? Ooh. Which is Doom guy standing surrounded by demons and he's firing two guns into them. And I was looking at it and I cannot work out is this meant to be going, holy hell, this game is going to be so overwhelming. You are going to be overwhelmed, in which case, big last stand energy. Or are we meant to look at it and go, the Doom guy's completely got this. He's just emptying, um, you know, his guns into the crowd. He's got this under control. Like That could either be a last stand or it's a Ooh. celebration of just a power fantasy. I don't know. Let me, I'm going to pull this up. I'm going to enhance Zoom. Hang on. Sorry. So That's I'm going to really look at insightful, it. Matthew. And that is interesting because I've always instinctively read the vibe as, oh, let's just see what he's doing at any moment on a given day. Because <laughs> they're really getting him. Like one of the demons like gripping his arms. Yeah, it does look quite last standy. Especially because there's a, there's a guy in the background who's like, you know. Oh, yeah. I've never really noticed like, him before. I wonder what his deal is. Oh, I've thought lots about the second Marine. He worries me. <laughs> I'm is looking he, at it now, the, yeah. the Photoshop I did of this where I painted in King Bogey, my original Gobi, in the place of the Doom Man? <laughs> well, that implies that it is a last stand then, if you instinctively felt some kinship between the two. <laughs> yeah, it was his... uh, for the programme notes for his funeral where we, um, <laughs> we played the only thing they fear is you. Uh, from the Doom Eternal soundtrack, as he was lowered into his casket. Yeah, because it for for listeners who may not know, King Gobi was the original. Yeah, uh, King Bogey was the original Gobi that Nate had, who sacrificed himself for a a huge brood. Of, he also in, troublingly sacrificed about twelve wives. Yeah, uh, but just a huge brood of monstrously inbred Gobi fish. Um, I. 
Yeah, I mean, Doom, you could argue, is sort of a, a series of continual last stands. You're in hell. Like, that's a pretty, like, that's a, that's like the worst place you can be. <laughs> that is quite a, that's the lastest, is it quite yeah. a lastiest last stand? There's nothing stand, beyond that. I don't know. It's so interesting how the Doom series has done a slow but very, very definite pivot to like pushing the message that you're a very frightening thing that is persecuting demons. Yeah. So it's kind of their yeah. last stand as I, soon I, as you show up. The thing about the cover is there's there is a demon on the cover in the bottom left. Sorry to keep talking about a picture. I know that's not great on a podcast, but if you look it up, you'll see what I'm talking about. There's like oh, a demon, the demon doing like, the sort of the it's a living look at the camera. Well, that's the thing. Like yeah. he's looking he's looking at the camera as if to say, Oh, this you know, check this guy out, he's so screwed. He doesn't look panicked at all. He looks very confident to be on the demon's side. Which would you know support the last stand the theory. Master Chief. I'll, I'll, I'll try and get in touch with John Romero and ask him. Do you think he'd come on the podcast to just do an episode, a special episode where we just talk like real esoterica about the cover of the original Doom? A whole podcast about this cover. I don't know. <laughs> Alice, I promise you with every fibre of my uh, heart, I will make it the greatest show on earth. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of last stands that are kind of the enemy's last stand, isn't that the bit the end of Undertale where the the baddie because the baddie is aware that you can just keep reloading because it's aware it's a video game, isn't oh, that right? I, uh, I I it broke the fourth wall too many times for me, so I just let the bricks collapse and walked yeah, away. Yeah, I'm afraid I, I'm afraid I'm on, on the same page. <laughs> I yeah I. I too did not really uh, get into Undertale as much as every other person on Earth apparently got into Undertale. Um, <laughs> but you can't say that you didn't think Undertale was that good, because then you'll die. Um, We're all dead but, now. Uh, That's the twist of the podcast. We're triple Bruce Willising it. Maybe the po- the podcast <laughs> is our last stand, and we have to keep doing the podcast. <laughs> we all Forever. died of not liking Undertale. <laughs> <laughs> And we're never going to be allowed to stop doing the podcast until we like Undertale. Oh. Um, uh, but it, I'm pre- I'm fairly sure because I watched someone else playing it as well that um, the main bad baddie in it is aware that you are playing that it is a game and that you're playing a game because like if you reload after the first boss fight because the first boss fight is designed to make you want to reload and do it differently and if you do that then they will be like you cheated or no you cheated and in the final boss fight it's very very hard and i think the idea is that you're it's just trying to get you to stop trying to beat it because you just if you just keep it knows that eventually over a long enough timeline you will save and reload and eventually beat it but it's just trying to make it too much of a chore for you to bother doing that in the end Lardy bloody da. <laughs> oh mate, let me tell you. I don't want to I can't I can't say too much indeed, but uh a game recently got an edge ten. Uh and uh it's you know what? One could uh could intimate from that that review code is out with people and I will have a lot to say about it, and that edge ten in the coming weeks. <laughs> mm, spicy. Oh, that, that, there was a lot of gravy there, but no meat. That is interesting. <laughs> I promise you, when I when I can talk about it, you it will be a very enjoyable talk. <laughs> we'll be screwed slapping a whole 10 kilogram sack of gobes on the table. <laughs> <laughs> it really will. Um, any other famous last stands? I, I've, got a, I've got a couple. Um... Desperados 3, and again, this is slightly spoilery, uh, you know, you can jump ahead one minute if you don't want to hear it. Um, the very end of Desperados 3 is a uh, kind of a, uh, oh, what's it called, when they've when everyone's pointing a gun at each other? Mexican standoff, shootout, yeah, yeah. standoff, yeah. Uh, yeah, your main character has got a gun pointing at him, and the rest of your squad is like free to move outside of the fight. Um, but basically, you can only take one action, and then there's like ten gunmen who will shoot you down. And so, to sort of win the game, you basically have to make sure every enemy gunman is is accounted for to be taken out in like one one Ooh. one move. 
Um, so you have to sort of sneak the rest of your squad into this graveyard, put them all in position, and like maximize their various abilities so that you can kill everyone all at once because that's a, a, a power you've got in the game you can kind of like program in moves and then press spacebar to trigger everyone at the same time um and while it's it, it's sort of a last stand but i i just i thought like narratively i really like the idea of a sort of set piece that tied so well into the sort of central mechanic of sort of syncing all these characters up and the idea that together they could pull off this seemingly there was like one you know it's a bit like the end of the avengers you know there's like <laughs> one outcome where we win this type thing um it's a high I mean, stakes culmination and that's a good thing yeah yeah it's a really good because uh, i never really got into desperados but you're you like it a lot don't you matthew because oh it's um, absolutely amazing yeah, yeah. I, the three i yeah i think i think three was just a- absolutely yeah, fantastic game. But as as a last stand, that is also sort of a test of everything you have learned mm. in the game. That's a really good. Yeah, it's weird. Kind of I seem to be the only person who's into this set piece though, because I know loads of people who are like, they love the game, but in their reviews, like I hate it. the very end of it. It's like a bit of a. But I thought it was just super elegantly done. I thought it was great, but. Mm. Uh, what do I know? Um, and the other thing I wanted to bring up, and maybe this is why we, I mentioned Last Stands before, I can't remember, is um, Vampire Survivors, where yeah, the, the, the whole idea of that game is like 30-minute rounds where enemies just move from the outside of the screen towards you. It's a bit like a twin-stick shooter, except you only control movement. Your character auto-attacks based on whatever weapon they pick up, and the idea is you chew through the enemy ranks, they drop upgrade gems, which you are then trying to just kind of upgrade your character as fast as possible to, to, to have the best chance of surviving this unstoppable, like, swarm of sprites kind of constantly um crowding you but by the end of it it's literally you are in the middle of the screen and every square inch is an enemy you know there's maybe like you know 500 to a (laughs) thousand sprites or something all coming for you and it's just have you built up the power to kind of push them back have you got the combinations of passive buffs and weapons uh to to just fend off just like grind all these things that are coming towards you and like it's hectic as hell and you're literally in the final seconds and you can almost feel your computer sort of buckling under the pressure of just showing you all this action happening and you can't really read what's going on you're just like ah just close your eyes and hope for the best like there's nothing you can do other than hope that your build is powerful enough to like hold them off it's it's really really exciting didn't you say you got to within like 30 seconds of surviving oh like i've 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 now done it but yeah at the time it was like yeah i was dying on like 29 minutes and 57 seconds (laughs) like my guy just couldn't hold out for the last three seconds he just got overwhelmed yeah it's just absolutely crazy at the end of those games this is this is that's a really really good concise summary of like i don't know whether to call it like a meta genre or something but it's like right I was I was mugged when I was 16 and th- this guy was really weird. He was he just was walking along drinking a can of Stella and he said I'm going to finish this can of Stella and I'm going to hit you in the face. And Funny. he stayed true to his word, but it was so awkward waiting for him to finish the can cuz you're not going to have a chat. Could you not could you not move away? Not really. Yeah. Um but these a lot of games are basically telling you that they're going to hit you when they finish their can. Um, <laughs> like I've, I've been playing quite a lot of they are built in they are billions recently, uh, which again is just you know basically you're trying to hold off lots of smaller assaults while making sure <clears throat> you've got enough onions in the fryer to feed dad. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, I've also been playing a game called. Um, oh, I really liked it. So, what? what hang on, give me a second. Um, what, what happens in it? It's the. Uh, it's they are billions, but medieval diplomacy is not an option. That's yeah. Again, it's just keeping keeping alive while stockpiling for the end. Then there's um, the last spell, which I got really into last year, 
which is kind of more of the same. Uh, Frostpunk, arguably, is a city punk translation of city punk, city builder translation of the idea. Because, you know, it's all about that big last storm. And I think this is just a really good rhythm for games. If, like, you know someone's going to try and, you know, Mm. golf club your head off to the horizon at the end. And you've got to have an eye on that. But you've also got to take care of, you know, the the, the day-to-day beastings. It's really, Mm. yeah, really interesting design trends. I don't know. I don't know if... Frostpunks counts as a, a last stand, though. It does. It, it has the energy, like because in in that final stretch when it's just all going to hell, that's where you're pushed into making like the worst. This you're just like screw it. I do not care about this. You know, like Throw some the of us are going to get the fire, yeah. And you know, uh, yeah. Like I remember becoming just such a tyrant in that. You know, all the things I, you know, all the bad behaviour I'd managed to ignore for the whole campaign. Suddenly, he was just like, "I will do anything to not lose this campaign." It's um, so brutally eschatological. Like you got the dung, 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 dung music, and like people yeah. say, oh, "We've run out of beans." Dick's frozen <laughs> off, and you know, it's just all really. It just feels so final. Oh, love it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Okay, I'll allow it. I wasn't allowed Morden, but I'll allow the. <laughs> no, I wrote That's back on play. that. I rode back on that, remember? Uh, the old revenge veto. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> now for the real contest of wits. Are we Are we any more for any more for uh, Last Stand? I suppose we should give a cursory mention to the original Red Dead Redemption, where, um, spoilers again, skip ahead a minute, but you, John Marsden has been cowboying around uh, quite happily, and then there's a, a final stand at his farm where a bunch of guys come, come to shoot him. And it's good because you... You sort of think you might be able to do it with your dead eye ability. You might be able to shoot all of them, mm. but you just Ooh, can't. Yeah, that is actually quite crushing, isn't it? Now I think back on that. Uh, and then also, I it doesn't really happen in the game, but um, Horizon Zero Dawn has a good kind of. I mean, the the story before the story has you know the humans doing a last stand to you know they're told like every human left standing. Uh, before the apocalypse is given a weapon and told you need to fight the machines to give us a a, a chance, give us enough time to enact Zero Dawn, but it was sort of it was a lie because Zero Dawn wasn't to save the current generation of humans; it was to start life again. And I Man, think that that's quite a, such a good story. Um, so I think that's very cool. Um, yeah, that was a but, last stand that you sort of obered in after the fact, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was cool. I liked it. Um, but we, it's time now for me and Nate to make our last stand uh, as we head down into Matthew's Cavern of Lies. Mm. I get out my handgun. <laughs> the Cavern of Lies! Hello. Uh, Hello. <laughs> welcome to the Cavern of Lies. Uh we find ourselves looking good in here, man. It's it's uh yes it's it's, it's all right. Um, we've got a uh, we're standing on an eight bit field, and Ooh. there are thousands of vampire sprites descending on us. Okay, <laughs> because we find ourselves in the middle of a game of vampire survivors. Now it's a it's a slightly modified game of vampire survivors because traditionally you've got one character standing in the middle. But uh, I'm going to let you pick some allies to come and fight with you from the character roster in Vampire Survivors. Um, okay, there are five you can pick from, but you only need to pick three. But you're going to need all three of them to be real if you're going to survive the vampire onslaught. So Reason, two of these yeah. characters. Two of these are bogus as hell. Okay, all right. Can you work out here? Now these are these are like the secret unlockable characters. It gets pretty weird. I'll just uh, give you that in advance. So the first hero who wants to join your party is Sir Ambrojo. Uh, okay. He starts with a passive boost that gives him more projectiles, which is quite useful. Um, Apparently, he's inspired by a story from the scriptures of Delphi, where an Italian adventurer, Ambrosio, got cursed by the Greek gods to become a vampire. 
you know, which is a, a little bit. Sounds like it was inspired by weed. <laughs> a, bit of a, a little bit of backstory, but what's really interesting and why, why I wanted to tell you about him is that his, uh, his weapon in the game, because each character has a particular weapon associated with them, is a Kinder Surprise. He throws Kinder what? Surprise eggs. Bollocks, like actual, actual Kinder Surprise? Like... Yeah, he throws... I mean, it's not called a Kinder Surprise. It's called... Well, that's uh, okay. not a Kinder Surprise. It's a treat. Well, it's, but the Sprite is obviously a Kinder Surprise. It's, it's a sparkling egg if it's not made in the Kinder region. For it's, got the packaging, <laughs> it's, got the, it's got the visual branding of a Kinder Surprise as well. So. Okay, fair enough. It's got okay. the colours. And when you throw this egg and it shatters... Uh, it causes pieces of furniture to rain down from the top of the screen and crush the vampires or crush the enemies in the game to death. Okay, well, I mean, first thought is that this sounds absurd. Um, but, you know, let's hear them all. So that's Sir Ambrosio with his Kinder Surprise weapon. Next up is Puzo. He is an aging gentleman in a suit with a cane. He is meant to be Mario Puzo, author of The Godfather. His weapon is a reskin of another weapon in the game called the King Bible, which is a Bible that kind of spins around the character when you have it. Except this version, it has a rose on the cover instead of the cross to mimic the cover of the original uh, publication of The Godfather, the book. Uh, When it kills an enemy, it has an equal chance of dropping a coin as it does the usual XP gem, uh, and the community call that making a sale because you're selling the books to them. I don't really get it. Um, yeah, so that is the second hero. A riff on Mario Puzo, okay. author of The That's Godfather. That's so weird. But I, so the, the developer is a, an Italian who was just kind of mucking about and wanted to pass time in lockdown. So Italian influences, not necessarily, I don't know. That's Italian-American, really, isn't it? So maybe maybe that's the fake one. All right, carry on. Oh, yeah, that one stinks. <laughs> Next up is TikTok. This is a grandfather clock, a sprite of a grandfather clock. It's got a very, very slow movement rate, not the slowest in the game. It comes with the clock lancet weapon, which shoots a beam that freezes enemy. Uh, freezes enemies it's actually a very difficult character to play as as you then need to find another weapon drop before you can actually hurt anyone because freezing doesn't hurt them um if you are playing the game when your pc strikes the hour it kills every enemy currently on screen and if you play the game when your pc clock strikes midnight it plays a funky disco version of that level's music and Mm -hmm. all the sprites do a dance this is so cute. Okay. This game is so cute. Okay. All right. So that, that sounds that sounds a bit Matthew-y to me. But mm-hmm. next up is Toasty. This is a Toasty. Pi- Toasty. He is a is he pink a ghost. No, he's a pink ghost. <laughs> um, uh, he has the attack bird, which is actually just a common weapon in the game as his weapon. Um, oh, good old uh, normal when attack you- bird. Yeah. <laughs> to unlock him, it's quite it's quite a, an odd process. Uh, when you kill a enemy type that is a stalker or a drowner, a Toasty's face pops up in the bottom corner of the screen like the head in Mortal Kombat that he says, <laughs> Toasty, except the ghost says, oh. Panini. Oh, come on. And you unlock him by pressing down an A when he appears, which is exactly how you used to unlock a secret character in Mortal Kombat 2. When the toasty head appeared, you pressed down an A to unlock. I think it was it was either called Smoke or Shadow, either way. Um, so this is a, a big Mortal Kombat Easter egg to unlock a ghost called Toasty. Oh my god, okay. I feel like a, like a blood vessel might have burst in my mind. Like... <laughs> Last but not this is least. just incredibly unreal. <laughs> Last but not least, we have Peppino, uh, who is a tree. Uh, you unlock this tree by, uh, in one level, there are demonic plants, but if instead of attacking them, you use a healing power on these plants, it unlocks this tree. Uh, this is the slowest character in the game, so slower even than TikTok, the grandfather clock. Um it does, however, start with a weapon called Soul Eater, 
which is the evolved version of the garlic weapon, which creates a funky aura around you that damages enemies that enter it. Um, a weird little extra touch, and I don't know what this refers to, but the the levels at which uh, the weapon reach upgrades are the numbers of the Fibonacci sequence. That's fun. So those are your five heroes. Just one little question for you. Yeah. Uh, is TikTok spelt like the app? No, it's spelt like the words TikTok. Okay, that makes it marginally easier to go on living my life. Okay, that's good. (laughs) So you've got the vampire throws Kinder Surprise. You've got Mario Puzo, author of The Godfather. (sighs) You have an anthropomorphic grandfather clock, uh, which reacts to your PC clock time. A pink ghost called Toasty, who shouts Panini. And Peppino, a tree uh, that you unlock by healing evil plants. These are all so unlikely. <laughs> Matthew has literally done the Cavern of Lies equivalent of choke slamming us both off an 18 foot tall steel cage in 1998's <laughs> Hell in a Cell. Yeah. I'm bleeding. Uh, there are thumbtacks in my head. That man has a family, Matthew. Um, <laughs> oh, God. And he still oh. has a chance to return to that family. Uh, if okay. you can identify I, I, I the, the two fakes. The Godfather one. That was. I was actually just feeling nauseous as you kept deepening the lore on that. I'm just hoping it's not real. Can it's I? Too much. My instinct. I couldn't. I couldn't pick any of the others, but I think the clock one is fake because I think it has too many layers of stuff to it. And the, I don't know why, but the everyone starting disco dancing thing. That smacks of Matthew's favourite Halo Easter egg thing. That I don't know why that's caught caught in the back of my mind there. And also I think making all the sprites on screen disco dance is probably a bit of an ask, isn't it? So I mean it's it's literally they just look one way and then look the other way. I mean it's not like Okay, so he's see now he's rolling back on it. So I think I'm I'm going with the clock. Oh, you were a wily like... devil. <sighs> okay, Matthew question um Mm -hmm. can you give me an example of another sort of cute easter egg thing the game does oh i don't know if that's fair uh that's maybe beyond the scope of questioning well no because it's Uh, like if the game's got previous on doing stuff like that i could well believe it you know i mean mean? these these are the ones i picked because they were juicier than the other ones um uh did you say these are all like um secret? Yeah. Yeah, so they're not main Yeah, like there there are there are other sort of strange bits and bobs. Uh there's a skeleton called um I think it's called Mordecai who throws throws his bones at people. Um Can you tell us that what's the sort of tone of the main unlocks? The main unlocks are quite... They, they, they almost feel like rip-off Castlevania characters. They're just okay. sort of vampire hunters, priests, nuns, um, like an old sort of soothsayer kind of guy. Um, yeah, it's sort of the vibe. All right. I, well, I'm happy with the clock, with TikTok. Okay. You know, your ship always gets us through the Tempest. I'm with you. I'm going to... But there's another one as well, though. Yeah, you have to, yeah, keep, you have to, you have to identify. You have to identify two fakes. Uh, so okay. who wants to? Who wants to? Uh, I'm handing you a gun. You have to shoot them in the head because that's okay, how these things tend to work. I'm going to put a bullet straight through the the face of the TikTok, the perambulatory clock. You put a gun to TikTok's head. You pull the trigger. The bullet passes straight through and hits a vampire because TikTok never existed in the first place. Oh yes. Oh, the relief! This one was so hard. Who are you gonna? Who are you gonna kill, Nate? Uh, Uzo. Uh, <laughs> kill Uzo. Uzo, the author of the yeah, Godfather. He's got to die. You put a gun to uh, uh, Mario Puzo's head. You pull the trigger, uh, and it turns out this was an offer you could refuse because he does not exist. He was not real. Oh no! Oh, I'm almost. You I'm sad. Oh. I'm sad that you didn't win this one. Oh, I can't. I can't believe I overegged it. You just a little bit. I think. Why did I clock. do that? I was looking at them on the page. I was like, oh, the two fakes have got like 
two lines more than everyone else. That's gonna get. That's gonna do it. Oh, Matthew. Oh, I that's cannot that's win. Freaking Kavanaugh. <laughs> of course, I... Mario Puzo isn't a fucking <laughs> character in Vampire Survivors. Oh. You were selling really well, man. Oh well. Well, hopefully, hopefully, it's giving you an idea that Vampire Survivors is quite a weird game. <laughs> Really yeah. want to play it now, even though half the uh, stuff I like about it is thankfully not real. <laughs> yeah, and, and thankfully we didn't kill the author of The Godfather, so that that's, yeah, that's yeah always a relief. All right, we'll leave you here, Matthew. Yeah, please Thank, leave me alone in this cavern of sorrow. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Another excellent cavern from Matthew. I, Matthew's caverns are marked by like the shocking quality and how difficult they are, and then the fact that I never ever win. Away. <laughs> They're like a connoisseur's cavern. You I'm throwing less... in the next one. Yeah, put less effort in that. All. <laughs> uh, all that remains now after this episode 198 of the Electronic Wireless Show is for recommendations because every week we recommend something that is not a video game. Matthew, what are you recommending this week? I'm recommending uh, the third Halloween film, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, which uh, I only watched for the first time the other day. Having watched the Scream films, we're now watching the Halloween films in order. Have you seen this film? No. It's about an evil... It's it's weird because there was a point in time where Halloween wasn't going to keep being about Michael Myers. It was going to be an anthology series. So this one's absolutely nothing to do with the others. And it's about an evil toy factory that is making... Uh, cursed Halloween masks that are gonna kill all the children who wear them on Halloween and a guy trying to uncover the conspiracy of these masks and it's really silly but when the masks do their thing at a couple of points in the film it's genuinely harrowing and um, (laughs) very very disturbing and both me and Catherine were mildly shocked by it (laughs) Crikey Uh I'm going to recommend another podcast. Uh, this is called uh, The Labours of Hercule, which is it's only on episode four, so you're not too late. Uh, but basically, it's a sort of watch along and discussion of all of the David Suchet uh, television episodes of Poirot in order. So you can watch, watch along and then listen to the discussion. Um, it's really fun. Uh, the hosts do a couple of other really good podcasts as well one of them is um adam adam roche i think his name is he does old hollywood podcasts they're really long they're like 10 hours long um and uh frankie as well does a really good um book podcast crime books called red and buried as well uh but it's a really really nice uh kind of podcast that's looking at like the differences between the adaptations and like the development of the characters and stuff um so yeah that's labor's the Labours of Hercule uh, podcast. Nate, what about you? <clears throat> I got lovely soap for my birthday. Um, <laughs> so it's called Dr. Squatch. Uh, and there's a lovely coconut one, which has got loads of coconut husk in it. And like, I don't know about you, but in this hot weather, it gets quite sweaty. <laughs> and, you know, like your skin can get a bit greasy. Dead skin can be a problem. So you've got to exfoliate. Um, and yeah, it's good at that. It smells delicious. That's why Matthew reminded me at the beginning, because like, I always want to eat stuff that makes you clean. Yeah, it does smell really nice. Thank you. I like coconut soap as well. Uh, thank you for those recommendations. And thank you, listener, for joining us for this episode 198 of the Electronic Wireless Show podcast, Rock Paper Shotguns PC Gaming Podcast, and the only podcast you need, in my opinion. Beg pardon, was this 198? Yes. Oh, that spectacular's bearing down on us. We've, oh, I don't want to have to think of something. Please email in for suggestions on what we should do to our two hundred for our two hundredth episode uh, at podcast at rockpapershotgun dot com. You can join the Discord uh, to chat more about the podcast and indeed games in general. Uh, the link is in the show notes. You can also buy some merch. We should talk to John Romero about the Doom cover for episode two hundred. <laughs> oh my gosh. Don't that is, don't get your hopes up for that. Um, <laughs> you can find Rock Paper Shotgun on 
uh, social media. If you search for us on Twitter, YouTube and Facebook to stay up to date. But for all your PC gaming needs, just go to www.rockpapershotgun.com. But for now, it's goodbye from me, Anna Spell. It is goodbye from Nate, who is billions. And it's goodbye from Matthew, uh, also known as Wolf Carlton. For goodbye. many weeks now known as yeah, Wolf Carlton. Ch- I'll change it for 200. Okay, all right. This better be good then. Yeah. Please uh, not John Romero if we can't get him on the show. <laughs> <laughs> all right. See you later then. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.